7. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and had, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. We're continuing our journey through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And we have some uh, books in the back if anybody doesn't have one yet to take notes in. If you want to take uh, notes on our study through this Gospel, we're on chapter 5 this morning. Uh, we covered uh, last week about the storm, Jesus cal calming the storm. They were moving from Capernaum on one side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a, a lake, uh, but they're called the Sea of Galilee, moving from one side over to another side. And then in chapter 5, they arrive on the other side. They, uh, it's the Decapolis. It's uh, ten Greek cities. And uh, they meet a demon-possessed man with uh, a, a legion of unclean spirits. Jesus delivers him, but the people don't want Jesus to stay there. And they're like, please leave our region. Or other, other crowds are saying, don't leave our region. The, the Gentile, uh, those Greek cities, they are saying, please leave. So he gets back in the boat, and they leave, and are text today he's arrived on the other side and in mark 5 1 through 2 um, we saw that jesus had arrived on that side but then he arrives um, in 521 in our text today he crossed in the boat to the other side so now they're heading back to capernaum heading back went went across the sea of galilee cast out demons and unclean spirits they're traveling back please leave they a land, land back on the shore, and Jesus is back by the sea in our text today, 521. Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, and a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. That's the setting. So this is back in Capernaum. It's their home base. Jesus' home base for ministry. Peter's house is there, uh, where Peter and Andrew are from. And also where Jesus called uh, James and John the sons of, sons of Zebedee. They're fishermen. It's right on the sea in Capernaum. And they're back. That's the setting of the story to be uh, visualizing today. And what we're going to look at is the, the intertwining of these two stories, which is unusual. Usually Mark starts with one story, finishes it. Starts another story, finishes it. But in this point, he's doing something unique something different 
He starts telling one story, and then it's interrupted and woven together. It's intertwined with another story. So our text started about a story about the ruler of the synagogue. So when he gets back to Capernaum, each town in Jewish, if they had enough people, had a synagogue, had a ruler. He was like the administrator of the synagogue, not necessarily the teacher, but uh, the took care of the place, the building, uh, you know, administered everything that needed to go on. And this is Jairus. He's the uh, uh, synagogue ruler. And he has a 12-year-old daughter who's been sick, and they have told him it's not going well. You know, she's dying. She's going to die at any minute. So he's gone, met Jesus as he comes, and the crowds gather there to meet Jesus back and and Jairus has come and pleaded for his daughter's life. Very serious, urgent situation. And then right in that story, all of a sudden it shifts. And you have another uh, woman who has a, a disease, a bleeding disease, a 12-year disease that she's fought. And all of a sudden it shifts to that story. <clears throat> so we're specifically going to look at, uh, uh, in Tim Keller's book, on Jesus the King, where he's navigating through this chapter, he talks about waiting. That's what he titles it. And in this chapter, he said something. He said, talked about God's delays. And that's kind of what I titled it, rather than waiting. God's delays. It's about patience. It's about Jairus, who has this need, this urgent need, and yet, there's all these other things happening, and Jesus doesn't seem to be in a hurry. And, and I just wonder if you've read any of the <clears throat> stories, the Gospels of his life, and ever seen Jesus in a hurry. Like I started looking, and I, I don't see him ever, ever getting in a hurry. It seemed like a very, the patience of Jesus. So there's this very urgent need. <clears throat> Time was the essence for Jairus. I mean, he's come to Jesus. It's his only child. She's 12 years old. She's sick with fever. She's dying. Mourners have already gathered around the house. They sense this happening. He runs. He hears Jesus back in Capernaum. He runs and he falls down and worships Jesus. He, he falls down, this ruler this, of the synagogue, humbly just throws himself at Jesus and begs him to please come and help his 12-year-old daughter. And you see them going and you can see that this would be an urgent situation. And then all of a sudden it's interrupted. Not only are there crowds, it says, that were pressing in around him, uh, it says a throng pressed around Jesus. They were thronged around him. Luke says, uses this word pressed, like crushed. Uh, I mean, it was tense. It would be hard to move towards Jairus' house where his daughter is with these huge crowds all wanting something. And in the midst of this crowd that's slowly moving, you can see Jairus going, hey, come on, disciples, can't you like knock everybody out of the way and let's get this thing going? My daughter's about to die. This is urgent. Jesus doesn't seem to be in a hurry. The, these are God delays with crowds. But not only is there a God delay with the crowd, 
all of a sudden there's another God delay with another need, but it doesn't seem to be as urgent as Jairus's. And Jesus even stops on purpose to carry on a conversation with this lady, to call her out publicly while on this way to this urgent need, not in a hurry, turning to stop. These God delays, what are they there about? You know, it's Jesus is, is all-powerful, Mark is saying. He's been powerful over diseases. He's been powerful over demons. And now it's like he's going to be powerful over death itself. And it seems like he's delaying. Because to him, he is God. And whether it's God over diseases, God over demons, or God over death, he is all-powerful. He is this Jesus just moving patiently. Tim Keller talks about patience in the book. He talks about this waiting, about Jairus uh, being in the hurry, but Jesus not being in a hurry. And these crowds testing uh, their patience. And this woman with this disease of this bleeding hemorrhage uh, for 12 years testing their patience. And he says, patience is love for the long haul. I'm not in a, in a hurry because I'm in it forever. I'm in it forever with you. Why be in a hurry? Patience is love for the long haul. Keller says, Keller says patience bears up under difficult circumstances without giving up. So it bears up. It doesn't give up. And it doesn't give in to bitterness. That struck Teresa and I strongly as we read that. Sometimes you feel like you're not giving up, but you're sure not happy about it at the same time, and you're getting bitter. But patience doesn't give up, and it doesn't give in to bitterness. Patience means working when gratification is delayed. Wow, delayed gratification. Like, it's God's delays. It's like he's waiting. It's like, what's that working in Jairus? What's that working in this woman who suffered for 12 years? It's down to her last hope. She's tried everything, given everything. It's down to her last hope. She hears about Jesus, the story, the reports of him, and she's there when that crowd gathers. And she's going with nothing else left. Spent all on doctors for 12 years, nothing or condition. Not only is not better, it says it's worse. Patience means working when gratification is delayed. J Jairus is definitely being delayed. He's being delayed by these crowds. Now he's being delayed by this woman. He wants the gratification of seeing his sick daughter healed, his only child and yet there's all of these delays along the way. Patience means taking what life offers, even if it means suffering. Taking all that life offers, even if it means suffering. Without lashing out. I lash out when I'm suffering. I don't tend to like it. Patience doesn't do that. That's that word that the King James used when it says love is patience as long-suffering. 
think that's a great definition of that word for patience. Long suffering. Love's in it for the long haul. Long difficult situations. Patience. And in this journey of these interwoven two stories, we see the patience of Jesus, the love of God, the love of Jesus, never being in a hurry, not in a hurry, these God delays, God's delays in our life and in their lives, not as a meaning as, well, I'm delaying even though I love you. It's not that. It's I'm delaying and I'm not being in a hurry because I love you. Jesus is not in a hurry. He's working things in God's own timing and it never seems to be our timing. We're all like little children. When do we get there? When do we get there? When does the answer come? When is it? Are we there? We're like, we're five minutes into the trip. You know, there's going to be another little town here. We'll be a third of the way to Roswell, and then <laughs> we got a 70-mile trip here. Yeah, wait until the longer trips come. We often feel like Jairus, impatient. God's delaying, and it seems irrational to us. We don't know why. Why? I can sense the story and just the urgency of Jairus, my only child, thinking of that. There's a girl, she's lying on her deathbed. We know Everyone that's seen is looking. They've seen these signs before. They know death. They know death probably a lot better than we do and a lot more frequently than we do. And they see this, and Jairus has come. And while he's engaged with another delay, not just the delay of the crowds, but the delay now of this woman who has come and Jesus stopping to carry on a conversation with her, he's... Now, here's this story. His, his greatest fear in that moment has now arrived. During that time while Jesus is still speaking with the woman, finishing up, these people arrive from his house saying, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any further? Why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus isn't in a hurry, he's not shocked, he's not surprised, he just looks with calmness, everything is happening in God's timing and in God's way, don't be afraid, don't fear, keep trusting in me. Tim Keller said in his book, his grace rarely operates according to our schedule. Wow, that hit me hard. Rarely does his grace, his mercy, his healing, his timing, that, that grace that's poured out freely ever operate according to my schedule. But what is going on with Jesus? Why is he carrying on this conversation? Why has he stopped with this woman in the pressing crowd? Isn't that just a crazy, irrational question? Can You know, it says Peter spoke up. This is uh, Mark, and everything we say is the gospel of Peter, and, and Mark's recording Peter's experience. So you know Peter's there, Peter's in the house when he raises from the dead. Peter is in all the scenes because it's 
uh, everything we know. It's Peter's eyewitness testimony given and Mark records it. So he's right there and Peter speaks up and is like, what do you mean who touched you? That's how I hear the tone. People are crushing us. Everyone's touching you. That's who's touching you. Somebody just touched my body. What? And Jesus calls this woman out publicly. What, publicly, what is he doing? And what is happening when he carries on this conversation and says she told him the whole truth? She lays out her old story. How long did that conversation take? And Jairus doesn't say he's saying anything. So I'd be like, could you shut up? We're going to get my daughter. She's dying. Be quiet. I'd be pulling on his garment, saying, let's go. I don't know. Jairus, it doesn't say. Seems to be waiting by, standing by, waiting Another God delay, and this one's taken longer. But he says at the end of the conversation with her, maybe the purpose of his whole stopping to call her out publicly, because our salvation isn't a matter of just privacy. It's a matter of public record, a public acknowledgement, our baptism, our public before people, that we are in Christ and he is in us, that we have been united in his death and raised to life. And it's a public confession that he's getting out of this woman. He's calling her out. She would have just quietly went away, it says, but he's calling her out. And at the end of the conversation, he says, Daughter, in Mark 5, 34, your faith has made you well. And this word well is sozo in the Greek. It means to be saved. Ninety-three times when it's used, it means saved. There's sometimes nine times about it means to be made whole more than just slithering off with your healing, which is amazingly huge. He calls her out. He stops what he's doing to bring a faith to this woman, a faith, a saving faith, a sozo faith. This is similar to uh, the word in Matthew. It is the same word in Matthew 1.21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, for he will sozo his people from their sins. He will save them. He's, he's out. This is the purpose of his ministry and life. It's not just physical healing, but to let people know who he is, for them to speak their whole truth, for Jesus to see who they are, and for them to publicly in this counter, that would have been so scary for her, having this disease, anyone she would have touched being unclean, ceremonial unclean, this bleeding disease, this shame of her life out publicly, and Jesus is healed for all to know and for all to see. And she stands there and has this conversation, and Jesus in his patience stops to bring salvation to one woman in a pressing crowd. The patience of our Lord same as with the ten lepers. Ten received their healing. They left. Only one came back. He was a Samaritan. Only the foreigner, the stranger, came back. And Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you sozo. Well, one out of the ten lepers saved. Truly knowing Jesus. Truly coming 
and bowing and thanking and worshiping him. We saw the paralyzed man that was lowered through the roof. And Jesus spoke to his greater need, greater than receiving new legs. He received a new heart. So so forgiven of your sins. And so this happens. Jairus is there. And Jesus, in Mark 5, 37, he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John the brother of James. So the sons of Zebedee and Peter and Jairus, like, okay, get out of the way, just us four and no more. Of course, with Jesus, it's five, but it's Jairus, Peter, James, and John, and they head with Jairus, and Jairus is still going. Jairus is still trusting somehow. I mean, that's what he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore, but Jesus looks at him and says, Don't be afraid, only believe. And Jairus is going, still going to the house, still going with that news that his daughter is now dead. They arrive in the room. There's mocking, laughing at Jesus when he says she's not dead, she's only sleeping. He clears them out. He just gets them in this room. Just them are in there, but the mom too. The parents are there. Peter, James, and John alone. Mark 5, 41 says, Taking her by the hand, this dead girl's 12-year-old child's hands. And every now and then in the Bible, when something huge, something big happens, like Jesus on the cross, the writer of of Mark, um, 15, when Jesus is on the cross, all of a sudden they just switch back into the old Aramaic. They just get back to their original language. You know, when he just says, Eloi, Eloi, Sambathani, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And here it's the same way. It's just a powerful moment where all of a sudden you just go back and you just hear and you say that eyewitness testimony of, of just the original Aramaic Jesus holding his hand saying, Talitha kumi, little girl. Rise, get up. It's like saying it's a term of endearment. It's like saying, honey, just grabbing her hand. Honey, time to get up. Wake up, wake up, sweetie. Wow. This love, this patience, this tenderness of Jesus, never in a hurry, comes and says, little girl, arise. And immediately the girl got up in Mark 5, 42, and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. These God delays made even more special than a healing. It was a resurrection, much more than Jairus went to Jesus for, come and heal my daughter. Many times, these delays, God's doing so much more than we could ever see or know. Just like when his friend Lazarus was sick, and he got word, and it says he waited two days. I mean, that's what it says. He got the word, Lazarus is sick and about to die, and then it says he waited two days. Waited. Just God's timing, God's delays. When they got there, what does Martha say in John 11? Uh, to Jesus in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Mary says the same thing in verse 32 of John 11. When Mary, Mary came, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But he delayed purposely. The Bible's clear about that. He waited after he got that news. Didn't even have anything else to do. It doesn't even say he was doing anything else. He just waited. God's doing things. He's waiting. His delays are purposeful. They seem crazy to us at times, illogical. If he would have, if you were in an ER and you had somebody bleeding out and somebody with a little scratch over here and you went over to work with the person to scratch, it would be like malpractice, medical malpractice, going to the lesser need before the greater need. It seems irrational and God's delays seem like that to us many times. But they're in his plan and he knows. He knows and he sees other things and what he is going to do and it's just for his greater glory and our greater transformation in our own life. God's doing something. He's building in us a faith that will be patient, a faith that will endure, a faith that will wait and trust in him until the end. And it's so hard, isn't it? You know, if you have children, you've seen it. Them squirming in their seats, wiggling, you know, just... Just we're the same way, wondering why. Why is it taking so long? Why did you put me through this? Why is this so hard? Why is this so long? When are you going to? Why? When? Jesus is saying, calmly looking at us in our eyes, saying, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. Put your trust in me. Jairus does, and his little girl is up walking around in this house. What is all this about? What, what can Jesus do when he, he's holding her hand and he's saying, honey, get up? What is Jesus doing in our impatience? Is he holding our hand? Is he with us? What did he do at the cross? Tim Keller brings out the gospel in a really unique way in this story. He says, we do not face loss in this life, but Jesus, we do face loss in this life, but Jesus speaks tenderly to us because he faced an even greater loss. What did Jesus face? He went to the cross and he lost his father's hand. He went to the tomb so we can be raised out of it. He lost hold of his father's hand so we could know that he will never let go of our hand. He will never, ever leave us or forsake us. He will hold our hand even through death and from death raise us from the grave. Whew. He became king and Jesus himself waited. Jesus himself waited to become king in the way and the timing of God. And a lot of this has to do with how do we answer when he tells them, don't say anything about that. So we're to our last verse in our text, verse 43. You didn't read all that way, but in the end of the story, he says he strictly commanded them not to tell. Why is that? Don't tell anyone what has happened. And he told them to give her something to eat. He gave them strict orders. Jesus gave them Mark 5:43. When we look at the verse and verses right before our text with the 
the man who was delivered from legion, all these unclean spirits, do you know what he told him? Because he wanted to go with them. They were like, get out of our region. Killing all our pigs. <laughs> get out. We don't want you. We don't know about your power. This is seeing this man clothed in his right mind, scaring us. Just leave us. Get out. The Gentiles were pushing him out. one who was delivered from the demon said I want to come with you I want to follow you and Jesus says no wow I want to be your follower I want to give up everything follow you no he tells him go and tell everyone in the Decapolis these 10 Greek cities that's what that means 10 cities the Decapolis go tell everyone and go tell everyone what Jesus has done for you like spread the news go tell everyone and then here with the Jewish ruler of the synagogue, he says, strictly order, don't tell anyone. Because there the crowds are throwing him out. And when he gets back to Capernaum, the crowds are crushing him. He doesn't need more crowds with the Jewish people. And what are the Jewish people doing and following him? And John 6, with some of his miracles, in John six fifteen, it says, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. See, they, were, they weren't in God's timing. They were going to force Jesus to become this Messiah king in their image and in their way and in their time. So much like us. Amen. So much. I want the Jesus that I want in my time and in my way and uh, in my kind of way. Not in my way, but they wanted to force Jesus to be king, but Jesus was waiting too. He was waiting patiently for God's timing because God's timing was going to be through the cross. In Tim Keller's whole book, Jesus the King, the original title was called King's Cross. And it was all about how God became king. And how God became king was through the cross. It was through suffering. And Jesus knew in that waiting, God's delays, God's ways, they're different than man's ways. God the Father's timing would be later. God's way would be the cross. Jesus would suffer and die on the cross. And one thief got it. One thief on the cross dying beside him got it. Because he said, Jesus dying on the cross, remember me. When you come to your throne, remember me, king, when you come into your kingdom. He saw him in the cross receiving his kingship. Wow. Everybody else just saw a man dying on the cross. Another Jewish rebel dying on the cross, nailed to the cross. God opened his eyes to see the king's cross. The way to Jesus' kingship was the cross. Later in John 12, the Greeks were pressing in. They start pressing in to seek an audience with Jesus. Now the Greeks are coming. They say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip runs and tells Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, they go and tell Jesus, and they go, the Greeks are even coming now. And Jesus answers in verse 23, the hours come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Time for me to die and go to the cross. The Greeks are pressing in now. Now the crowds aren't going to be just Jewish crowds pressing in. It's going to be the Greeks and all the Gentiles coming too. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he tells this 
almost parable-like thing in verse 24 of John 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm going to die, and I will be hanging through the cross. So, do we heed the words of don't go and tell anybody or go and tell? For us, it's go and tell. It's freely open for Jews and Gentiles now to go and spread the news of the gospel. Mark concludes uh, his gospel in the end in Mark 16. He says to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news to the whole creation. Go, go and tell. Matthew, we have the, the great commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go and tell. Luke 24, 46 through 47. The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of Jesus to all nations. Go. And proclaim. And Jesus says in John 20, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus has equipped us, empowered us to preach the gospel and proclaim it to all nations. And these God delays are only in our life to give us and to teach us the same patience that our Lord had, waiting and waiting for God's timing and God's way. Amen? We're going to take communion together, sing a final song, but I want you all to come and take, uh, pick up the elements, and I'll say a prayer, and we'll take them together. So let's just begin over here and... Come around and let's take the Lord's Supper together.
night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread. manner he took the cup and he said this is the blood of the new covenant the cup of the new covenant my blood given for you for the remission of sins take and drink of it and when you do do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come let us partake together Heavenly Father we Come to your table in obedience to you. You said to do this in remembrance of you until you return to remember your death, to remember your sacrifice and what you gave for us for the remission of our sins. And we thank you for it as we take this act we, uh, at the Lord's table, this communion with you, God. We do it in faith. We do it remembering and, and grateful hearts for you, Jesus, coming down to this earth, giving your body up for us and shedding your blood upon the cross for us. We just give you praise and we thank you for your sacrifice and what you gave for us to have life and to have victory over death, hell, and the grave. We just praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And we pray that our hearts would be anointed to sing praise to you in this closing song. In Jesus' name, amen. This body that 
faith the blood of Jesus has washed you from all sin made you holy so that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit and thus you are empowered to go and be witnesses to go and tell of all and every to everyone all that Jesus has done for you go and tell in Jesus name amen, amen. love one another